the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to speak to us, God, clearly. Give us a heart, Lord. Let this word that you have given me, Lord, be life-changing. Lord, I can't do that. Uh, None of us can do that in our strength. But, God, give us the faith to respond to you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And there is a title to the message you probably see in your handout. It says, Where are the evangelists? It's a question. Where are the evangelists? Now, Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Now, I believe that there are two main reasons why the church exists today. is discipleship and evangelism. Those are the two main reasons that we see in the book of Acts, as we'll probably get to that soon. Uh, not today, but soon, that there is a description of how we can fire on all cylinders, right? There's fellowship, there's devoted to the apostles' teaching, there's prayer, there's breaking of bread. But within discipleship, those other things happen. And so we have discipleship. We have, what is discipleship? Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. It is not just learning about him, that's part of it, but it's becoming like him by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that God is working in us, giving us both the power and the desire to do what pleases him. But it also exists for evangelism. Uh, We don't do this to try to earn favor with God. We don't do this to try to uh, earn points with heaven. We don't do this to try to impress people. We do this because God gives us a burden. He gives us his heart as we grow closer to him. He gives us uh, his feelings. We get to see what he sees and hear what he hears. And we begin to share our faith. We begin to share it with others. What is the message then? If we're talking about evangelism, just real quick, it is a very simple message that we share with those who don't know the Lord Jesus. It's repent and believe. It's very clear. Jesus said those things. We we cannot have salvation without repentance, and we can't just try to be a good person and turn from sin without placing faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And so when we share our faith, it's all about Jesus. It's not about the church. It's not as wonderful as that is. That, uh, just yesterday, there's a guy who lives down on the vista over here, and uh, young guy, I don't know if he's here this morning, I did invite him, um, and told me his mother needs to help him wake up, but um, I hope she did, but I hope you're here. And so, now that's great. There's nothing wrong with inviting people to the house of God. There's nothing wrong with inviting them to a prayer meeting or to another ministry, but at the end of the day, it's not about converting them to Grace Point gospel fellowship. It's about helping lead people to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so the message is repent and believe. Now, everyone we talk to is going to live somewhere forever. Every single conversation we have, every person that we run into at the store, at our job, in our family, our children, our grandparents, our parents, every conversation Every conversation has a purpose deeper than what we see at the surface. Church, we we have such an amazing privilege and an opportunity to represent God in this time. We minister to a teenager 
It translates to ministering to a home. If you minister to a young adult, then we minister to a company or a campus. If you're a community group leader, you minister to your community group, and it continues to spread ripple effect and spread in homes and spread around the county. But everyone we talk to, everyone that we run into, every person that we see at our job, every person that we see as we're driving through the county or commuting to work, every person that we see here today, every one of us will live forever somewhere. It's either with God or without God. The Bible, excuse me, uh, there's a story that I want to share with you. There was a, a young man, you may know this story, so just stay with me. There's a young man whose formal education ended at the fifth grade, and so he decided to look for work in Boston. And not able to find a job, this young teenager asked his uncle for work, and his uncle gave him a job at a shoe store under one condition. He must attend church. Now, this young boy had a Sunday school teacher by the name Edward Kimball. One day, he decided to visit the young man at the shoe store. Up until this point, this young man had not surrendered his life to Jesus. And on April 21st, 1855, he walked into that shoe store and began to share the love of Jesus with this young boy. And shortly after that conversation, one conversation, this young boy decided to surrender his life to Jesus and serve him with his life. This young teenager, we know as D.L. Moody, became one of the world's greatest evangelists and said that he has led around one million people to Jesus. One conversation, one conversation in a public place to share the love of God and an entire world is affected. One Sunday school teacher who says, I'm going to take the gospel outside of the church wall and I'm going to visit a young person at their job and I'm going to share Jesus with them. And we get a million people going to heaven. It doesn't stop there. Now, Sunday school teacher Edward Kimball helps lead D.L. Moody to Jesus. Now, D.L. Moody becomes an evangelist. And D.L. Moody at an evangelistic meeting helps lead J. Wilbur Chapman to surrender his life to Jesus, who also becomes an evangelist. Chapman is preaching, and there's a young person there named Billy Sunday who surrenders his life to Jesus, who also becomes an evangelist. Billy Sunday is preaching at a meeting, and there's a man there by the name Mordecai Ham who surrenders his life to Jesus. Mordecai Ham becomes an evangelist. And Mordecai Ham is preaching, and there's a young man there by the name of Billy Graham who surrenders his life to Jesus. One conversation. One conversation in the shoe store with a teenager, and you can see the ripple effect from generation to generation to generation. One conversation at home. One conversation between a husband and a wife with their sincerity and their speech. A conversation between father and son or father and daughter or mother and child. See, folks, when we go to the store, when we go to, and, and, and i got to tell you that God's been, He's convicting me because I used to be a lot more conscious of this. We can get so self-focused and turn so inward. When we go to a store, when we go to work, we go to wherever we may go. It's an opportunity for people to watch our lives, to see a smile on our face, to see kindness. I remember, you know, I say this a lot because it was so evident. I, I would try to be kind to people at the cashier.
last year, even if they're, I don't know if some of you are the people that count the items, you know, the express line. And you get upset when the people have too many items in their cart. But we have a, an opportunity to be a witness, an opportunity to be a testimony. And so, you know, when the pandemic started and we put our mask on, it, it, it wasn't so much the mask that was bothering me. What was bothering me is you couldn't see people's faces. And there was even a point where it just don't come near me or speak to me, but it was almost like don't make eye contact either because if eye contact was going to do something. But we, we have to be very careful that we are not still in that place where we are distancing ourselves from people in the public sphere. There are people that want to hear the gospel. There are people that want to hear what we have. There are people that are waiting for someone to encourage them or speak to them. They're still lonely. Loneliness didn't go away. If anything, it has increased. And so when they go to work and they're working at a, at a cashier, they're working somewhere, they're not going to be upset if we begin to talk. One conversation. One conversation. The entire world has changed. I want to share some thoughts with you. There's a book written by Nikki Cruz, who's a still a wonderful evangelist. He wrote a book called Soul Obsession, When God's Primary Pursuit Becomes Your Life's Driving Passion. He said that there are three things that the Lord wants to give to us if we want to be soul obsessed, if we want to go after souls, we want to win souls to the Lord. Let me tell you something, winning souls to the Lord is not for a select group of people, it's for the believer, it's for the Christian. It's one of the ways that we know we are alive and that we are healthy and that we are firing on all cylinders. Are we sharing our faith? Are we sharing Jesus with other people? And the first thing he says is that we need vision. Isaiah 6, 1 through 9, I'm going to read it. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And I said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among the people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. I'm sharing with my wife this week. I, I grew up going to Catholic school and I, I don't know if it was second grade, third grade, middle school, whatever it was, but we took music class. I think it was probably about twice a week. And it, was, it didn't matter if you could sing or not. They, they put you in a class, and um, Miss Gardleone, that was my music teacher, I remember her because she played the accordion. And she would sit there and play the accordion, but they, they gave us a hymn book. And I remember some of those songs, and, and there was, I'm not going to sing it, there was one of those songs, though, Here I Am, Lord, Send Me. God, is that you calling? And imagine what that does. It, it, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old boy wouldn't meet in a song. What, what substance in a song that God would begin to stir people's hearts at a young age and say, God, I'll, I'll hold your people in my hand. That God, you would send me. Leonard Ravenhill in his book said, 
uh, this book, Why Revival Tarry, said that Isaiah really had a three-dimensional vision here in these verses. Upward, inward, and outward. We will look upward and we will see the Lord in all His holiness. As we look inward, we will see ourselves in our need for cleansing and power. And as we look outward, we will see a world that is perishing and in need of a Savior. If we spend time with God, I want to tell you that. I'm not trying to put a, a, a legalistic strain on you to say, how much time do I need to spend with the Lord? But I have to tell you that there are some things that just take time. There are some things that, that we, we wonder, you know, why don't I have the heart of God? Why don't I have a burden for souls? Why don't I have a, a passion for the Lord? Why, why is God not speaking to me? Sometimes it takes time. It takes going to a place and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to get up until you touch me. I'm not going to get up until you speak to me. I'm not going to move until you give me your burden. And we wait on the Lord. The older saints that are in here, there's a word that's missing. I asked the, our young adult career age community group on Wednesday. One person in the group heard the word before, the word tarry. Those times of waiting on the Lord, those times of going in to wherever you got to go and shut the door and shut the phone and shut everything else. Can God speak to you on your way to work? Absolutely. Can you listen to the scriptures on your way to work? Absolutely. But that can't just be it. There are times where the Lord calls us into those places of intimacy where it's on a rush and we stay there until we're touched by God. And so that's where the vision comes. It comes upward, it comes inward, and it comes outward. Now, vision... Not only do we have a vision of the Lord and a vision of our need for Jesus and our vision for need for power and what the world's condition is in, but there's another vision too that I want to share with you and I want to share again. You can read these throughout the week. Second Kings chapter 6. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place. For the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. He was, he was getting a word from God. He was getting downloaded information into his brain from God. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army, a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And sometimes that's what we feel like. We feel like we walk into a workplace or we walk into a store, we walk somewhere, and there's an army of those that are against God around us. And maybe in the natural, it is that, but keep listening. When the servant of the man of God, now this is Elisha's servant, young man, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Elisha said, don't be afraid. Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. There are more on our side than on theirs. My daughter shared with me a testimony on Wednesday. He said he's got a family member that was walking through Patterson. 
extraordinary lady. So the Lord would go up to these three young guys and just right to the middle guy. Do you know Jesus? Do you know more on our side than theirs? Supernatural. The testimony goes on there, and I don't want to mess it up because I don't remember all of it, but it wound up being a family member, actually, that was away from the Lord. God is doing a work in their life today, and so more on our side than on theirs. There's more on our side. See, the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. God promised to prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. A table, a banquet table of provision. Provision of power, provision of, of peace, provision of a word from God. Everything that we need to move the ball forward, to move and advance the kingdom of God. God has promised in the middle of our enemies, in the middle of those that may seem like they're standing against us, and maybe some of them are, and some of them are arguing their own salvation, but God will prepare a table for us in that place. God wants to give us a vision to see beyond the natural, to see beyond the natural, to open our eyes to see what God sees, the invisible people, the people that people walk by, the people that people count out, to see them, to have a burden for souls. I, I, I don't think we could simply all the time say, oh, this person, they're close to the Lord because they listen to me. Some people will listen to you and not be close to the Lord. This person opposes me. This person threatens me when I share Jesus. This person says they don't want anything to do with me. They may be closer than the other person. There is more with us. There is more with us. My wife will tell you that me and God or her and God or you and God make the majority. Will we see the invisible people? Will we pray for a vision that these people can start over? They can be made new. We need the faith and the heart to believe that for people. The second thing that Nikki Cruz mentions is passion. Passion. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. There was something inside of him. Folks, I, I'm talking to my, myself. I am talking to myself right now. And I pray that the voice of God preached to me. Preached to me. Are we upset anymore when we go to work and there's people that are cursing God? Are we upset anymore when maybe you work in the education system and they're just lying to children? Are we upset anymore as parents when that's happening? Or do these things bother us anymore? Is there a passion for God inside of us? Way beyond just coming to church for an hour and a half or whatever it may be. Or even then showing up once a week for community. I'm talking about, is there a passion? Is there a passion to worship God, to serve God, to tell others about Jesus? If there's not a passion, we ask for it. God has invited us to the throne of grace, to be bold, to ask for these things. Is there a passion? Or is it a chore? Mercy. Number three is mercy. That's how you hand out those three blanks. They're mercy. It was vision. It was passion. It was mercy. John chapter 4, the woman left her water. Now, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman. He tells her everything she's ever done. 
The woman leaves her water jar beside the well while they were talking and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's amazing that we get so fearful to tell people the truth in love. The Bible says people appreciate frankness more than flattery. And God's not wrong. This lady was excited that somebody told her everything she ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him, and many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. Because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. We never know what one conversation can do. We never know what one conversation, where it can spread, where it can go. We can't give up. We can't drink from a fountain of discouragement. We can't believe the lies of what culture is saying, no matter how they're trying to create. I text Pastor Dan this week, I said, do preachers get arrested in the metaverse? You know, you, no matter how much people are trying to create a whole different world, no matter how many people are trying to get us to exit this one, we cannot drink from a fountain of discouragement. People are still hungry for truth. They're still waiting for the messengers to come with the gospel of truth. And so these Samaritans are coming out of the village as many Samaritans believed in Jesus. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, what, what an amazing verse. This is what I pray for my children. Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. This lady doesn't even fully understand what's going on. But he speaks the truth in love. And now we see a city, we see many in the city coming to Jesus, not through the, the high priest, not through the pastor, not through the, 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 the elder board, not through the deacons and deaconesses, which hopefully God will use all of us. But, but now people are getting saved through what the world counts out in a moral woman. One conversation. One conversation with the, with the person in your family, everybody counts out. You know the person when there's holidays, you hope that one person doesn't show up? That person. That person. From a Saul to a Paul. Luke chapter 14. When you put on the luncheon, this is Luke 14 and 12 to 14. I'm going to skip a little bit, but the Bible says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. In other words, don't invite people with the intention of trying to get something in return. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who cannot repay you. And then Jesus tells a story about a man who prepares a great feast. And maybe you know it from Luke 14 that, that many people made excuses why they couldn't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. He told them the excuses. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys. Go, go quickly, quickly. Folks, if, if you, I'm not trying to tell you to give up on anyone, but there's plenty of fish to keep fishing in this county. Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I remember when 
we had two interns here interning in the, in the youth and young adult ministry, and we were on Main Street in Spring Valley. We were just walking around and praying, and I think we were praying, and uh, we were doing something out there, had something to do with ministry. And uh, there was an alleyway, we said, hey, let's, let's go back there. There were some guys hanging out back there, and, you know, my stature and, and my complexion, I had to tell them I'm not the police, all right? <laughs> that was my initial way to open the conversation, because they, you can see a guy on the said, no, we're not the police. I said, we're, we're here to share Jesus. We've got to pray with them. Go into the places nobody wants to go. Go. Go quickly into the streets and the alleys. Bring in the crippled. Bring in those that the world has given up on. Bring in spiritually blind, the lame that can't walk and they have no power to walk in any right direction. Bring Invite them. Invite them to Jesus. Invite them here. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. And folks look around, there's still room for more. I don't, I don't know what the, the actual fire code number is, Pastor Danny, but there's still room for more. There's still room for more. And so his master said, go into the country lanes. Now, now go to the places that people might have forgotten behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come in so that the house will be full. God wants this house full. If he gave us the space, he wants it full. That's, that's his desire, not just for numbers sake, for souls. For souls. I'm, I'm going to be very, very forward with you. There is no other plan, structure, or system to fill this house. Some of us are, you know, sharing Jesus and going out and talking to people and doing those things or witnessing. And it's out of our comfort zone. For some of us, i got to tell you that even if we're extroverted, it's not based on our charisma. It's based on the power of God that we need. That our words would have a weight. That those conversations like to D.L. Moody, young D.L. Moody, would have a weight to it. Jeremiah chapter 1. The Bible tells us this. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Or maybe I can throw in there, I'm too old. I'm too new. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Get up and prepare for action. Go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them or I'll make you look foolish in front of them. For see, today I have made you strong, like a fortified city that cannot be captured, like an iron pillar or a bronze wall. The whole, you will stand against the whole land, the kings, 
the officials, the priests, and the people of Judah. They will fight you, but they will fail. For I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. God has chosen you before the foundation of the world to share Jesus. There are people here that you are known in heaven. You know it. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. You know it. God knows your name. You are written in the Lamb's book of life. But I have a question. Are you known in hell? Are you known in hell? Matthew 16, verse 18. I think they have the verse for the, for the screen. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates do not march. Gates are not advancing in, in, in like an army against us. And so I want to tell you this. Go through the gates of hell. And I want to give you some of my imagination here. This is my imagination. You can take it or leave it. Do what you want with it. But I can imagine as we approach these gates that I can picture in my mind a line, almost like a, an athletic event, two lines of just demons. We want to approach the gates and and every demon is lined up and they're spewing their lies and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're condemning. Who are you to go to the gate? You didn't have a good week. Who are you? You're, you're struggling in this area. Who are you to approach the gates of hell? And as you get closer, it gets louder and louder. But something amazing happens. You push through the noise and you touch the gate and it silence. Put your hand on that gate, you realize the gates are unlocked. And you open the gate beyond your comfort zone, beyond my comfort zone, beyond fear, beyond self preservation. And you walk in through the gates of hell and you can feel the darkness. You can feel it. And you hear screams, but it's different than the demonic voices. You're hearing screams, you're, it's cries for help. It's people that are trapped in sin, that are held in bondage to Satan. And let me tell you this, there are some of you that if you go through the gates of hell, you get past self-preservation, and you push past the, 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 the lies and the fears of the enemy and the condemnation of the enemy, you haven't been a good enough parent, you haven't been a good enough grandparent, you haven't been this. There are some of you, when you go through these gates, that you may find your own son in there. You may find your own daughter. You may find your mother, you may find your father, you may remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says we start in Jerusalem. We start at home. Self-preservation will keep you on the other side of the gates, but you push past that and you find your brother and you find your sister in there. And then you may continue to explore in there and you may find your neighbor or your co-worker or your boss. Begin to hear what God hears and see what he sees and feel what he feels. But go in. Go in. Go in. There are more with us than on their side. You go in. You go in with your prayers. Your prayers can make it through the gates of hell. You go in with witnessing. You go. When we 
walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. When we approach the gates and go through, God is with us. And when you go through the gates and one translation says, hey, these are death, you go in and you help place one person's hand in the hand of Jesus so Jesus can get it back. You're not too young and you're not too old. You're not too new to turn this county upside down. We can see something amazing. Lives changed. Marriages healed and restored. Don't believe the condemner that you're not good enough to go through the gates of heaven. The Bible tells us that we receive the Holy Spirit out of obedience or by faith. It's by believing. It's by believing in God. It's by believing wants to give it to you, that he wants to give you the power for his glory. You can look around society and see a mess, but God chose you to help rescue people, to help rescue them from going to hell, to help rescue them from the lies of the devil, to help rescue them from being abused and used and hurt, to help rescue them. Would you stand with me? The title of this message is a question. Where are the evangelists? Or, it is a question. Where are they? They're right here. They're right here. It's you, and it's me. It's every one of us that's called, if we're a believer, to share Jesus. Give us the passion, he'll give us the mercy, he'll give us the vision. If we wait, that's when he promises we will be his witnesses when power comes upon us. You know, Jesus told Peter, he said, When you're older, someone else is going to clothe you. You're not going to dress yourself. The Holy Spirit is going to clothe us, the Holy Spirit is going to give us power. And then he said, You're going to go places you don't want to go. God will send you places you don't want to go if we're just willing to say yes. It's not by might, nor by power, but it's by His Spirit. It's His Spirit. It's His Spirit. I, I want to give a simple altar call. Now, let, let me say something to, to those who've been in church for a long time. And I'm not talking about the clock. I'm talking about years and years. You hear something. You may hear something like this and say, I, I get it. I can share my faith. I get it. I've heard this before. Why do we have an altar call? Honestly, it's so we can pray. So we can get out of the distraction that we may be in our seat and pray. Let me tell you, if we're going to go through the gates of hell, I think it's fitting to see if we can walk from there to here. It's prayer. We have a very simple altar call. Just, just God, make me a soul with you. God, give me a heart. God, use my life. If, if that's the cry of your home, I want to invite you as we begin to worship to come to the altar and pray. Pray. God will make you what you never dreamed you can be. It's not in our strength. Dio Moody went to go sell shoes. He actually says that he was pretty, he was really into money. <laughs> he had a different agenda. God turned it around. One conversation. What happens if God wants to have a conversation with you right now? To say, 
Jesus' name. 